Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. If you don't support and enable the diverse people, including women, to succeed and to grow... You are not being inclusive. You cannot just be diverse. You have to be inclusive, and only then can diversity be sustainable. Hi there. I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to Season 2 of The Females, a podcast that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season will focus on disruption, From disrupting industries to old narratives and definitions of success, and even disrupting new ways of thinking. Today's interview is Caroline Turner, author, speaker, and a leadership consultant disrupting how both male and female leaders communicate. You've probably heard that men are from Mars and women are from Venus as a way to explain our communication differences, but Caroline strongly disagrees with that. In fact, we're about to disrupt all the traditional advice you've heard about masculine and feminine communication approaches, including the fact that feminine does not always equal women and masculine does not always equal men. No woman is exclusively feminine and no man is exclusively masculine. And if that's true, what does it mean for communication approaches and more importantly for us as women? How does it impact us at work, in our lives, and how do we become bilingual in the two approaches? This is probably one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had, not just because I'm learning about the differences in communication, but because we're talking about communication as a skill at all. It's an essential skill for success, but not one we like to focus on probably because it's one of those really hard skills too. Let's dive in to learn the ins and outs of feminine and masculine communication approaches Caroline's advice for women in leadership roles today and tomorrow, and what you can do when the research isn't enough to get your male colleagues buy-in. And now, this is The Females. All right, Caroline, tell us about your career path and your transition to your current career, which is as an author and speaker. Sure. I was trained as a lawyer. Now, when I was a child, women weren't lawyers or doctors or cabinet members. They tended to be secretaries and nurses and the like. But when I graduated from college in the early 70s, all that was beginning to change. And uh, women were going to professional schools in large numbers pretty much for the first time. And lacking imagination, I 
just followed them in there, and I went to law school. I practiced law in a large firm in Denver and uh, did securities and corporate law. I was a deal lawyer. And then I went in-house at Coors Brewing Company and built their legal function and over time rose to become the first woman senior vice president of that public company. And I became really fascinated with what my gender had to do with my experience as I sort of climbed that ladder. And I actually became an advocate for other women. I, I saw the value of having both genders on teams and at the top. But I was a bit burned out and left in my early 50s. I knew there was something I wanted to do, and it had to do with the advancement of women and gender diversity and that kind of thing. And I joined a small consulting group where we did leadership training, and my favorite one was about men and women working together and what's the difference and how do we appreciate each other. Mm -hmm. And so eventually I started writing a book based on the content that I developed with my colleague. I opened Difference Works and published my book. So for the last 10 years, i got to count that, but good Lord, I think it's close to that. I became a speaker and workshop facilitator using my content and my own experience. That's the path. <laughs> well, you must have probably been one of the only women in the leadership position at Coors Brewing, too. So you were obviously not just teaching about this, but you had experienced it as well. That's right. I was at the time that I was the only woman, the first woman, or one of very few women lots of times in my career. Well, I have uh, a question later on where I, I asked for some good stories about that because I'm, I'm sure you have some stories. We had a woman on the podcast earlier who talked about when she was one of the only women, she went to a conference and there were no restrooms for women. So I'm sure you've got <laughs> some interesting stories of being the only woman as well. But as you mentioned, you also have a book called Difference Works, and it covers how to leverage masculine and feminine approaches to improve employee performance and boost the bottom line. So I would love for you to really tell us about the book generally, and then what are these approaches? And, and, and why does it matter that we think about masculine versus feminine? Because some people will argue we're all just people, but I, I'd love to kind of know, like, what's the book about, the approaches, and, and why the, the different approaches even are top of mind? Great question. Um, the book makes the business case for gender diversity. It, it points out all the research that says having diversity and particularly gender diversity is correlated with better bottom line. And my book attempts to help leaders understand first and then appreciate second, feminine as well as masculine approaches. And that is the word I use. And by approach, I simply mean style or way of leading, thinking, working, acting. And I lay those differences out on a continuum. I am so far from believing what John Gray believes, which is men do this and women do that, and we're from different planets. I do not agree with that. I lay out what is masculine and what is feminine on a continuum and then look at the differences on that continuum in 10 different dimensions of the workplace, how we make decisions, how we think, how we structure things, how we motivate people and help people, leaders, my readers, and my workshop participants understand, so what's the feminine way of doing those things, and what's the masculine way? Because masculine doesn't equal men, and feminine doesn't equal women, but it helps 
you understand what is your sort of default, what is your more, your comfort zone, so that you can become more intentional about leveraging both. Um, why does that matter? Because the workplace has been for decades influenced and created by males, white males. And so we think of leadership and the way to work in that image, in the masculine image. And that excludes the approaches of others, including many women and some men. And if we want to include and engage more of the workforce, and any good leader does, we need to broaden how we look at leadership and what do we see as leadership and what are acceptable ways of getting results. Mm-hmm. And that's really the core of the business case. So that's what my bit, my book does. It explores those differences, points out the strengths of both, and then has some practical tips on how a leader can appreciate and leverage both. So can you give us an example? I, I think it's, well, first I want to say, I think it's really interesting that you're saying masculine doesn't necessarily mean men and feminine doesn't necessarily mean women. These are kind of traits or styles. So you're saying you could be a woman who has a masculine trait when it comes to motivating or a feminine trait when it comes to, you know, some other dimension at work? Absolutely, yes. And 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 so the theory is if you know which side you you fall into, you could play to that strength more? Well, not only that, if you understand the continuum, if you understand both approaches or, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of average of each of those approaches, then you can look at what is called for right now in this circumstance with these people and shift. So let's say I become aware that I am feminine in my way of behaving in meetings, and I see that that isn't working for me and it isn't working for my team or the company. I can learn to shift. I can also learn to hear other people. One of the things I say is that good leaders are bilingual, which means they speak two languages, masculine and feminine. That's one of the dimensions, how we talk. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we move all along, and if we can shift intentionally, uh, deliberately, we're, we're more effective personally. We can engage our teams more because we appreciate differences and ultimately we can create cultures where more of the workforce is engaged. And I, I also like that idea that you're bilingual because I think there's there's some people who understand you need to kind of shift and sway to really get the results that you want. So as you said, like if you both have, if you want that outcome and you tend to be more feminine in meetings and the masculine way is uh, more successful and if you want to get what you want, maybe you need to shift that side. So I understand that, but I also could hear the argument of someone saying, I am who I am and I shouldn't have to change (laughs) to make that work. What would be, you know, what's the advice to someone who's saying, I don't, I don't want to have to shift or change my style to be more successful in a meeting. I should be able to bring that authentic piece to to this. Well, that's a choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I understand the argument, mm-hmm. and I am a, a big proponent of authenticity. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying fake it. I'm not saying put on someone else's style. I'm saying if you want a larger repertoire, a bigger toolkit, and I'm talking to men and women, mm-hmm. to actually read the what's going on, and shift for greater effectiveness. Now, if you find that you don't want to because you think that's not fair, 
fine. My guess is you're less likely to be successful. And I, and I again, I, I think that of men as well, mm-hmm. that if you can shift. So can I give an example? Yeah, I would love that. Okay, so let's go to that, that uh, dimension called how you talk. The masculine way, and it's based on sort of picking a prototypical average guy. The way of communicating is being direct, authoritative, confident, etc. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Whereas the feminine approach tends to involve more asking questions, listening involving others. Women tend to use these approaches to communication called disclaimers. Disclaimers are, this may be stupid, but mm-hmm. you probably already thought about this, but I'm not really an expert here, but, mm-hmm. and then you say something brilliant, or hedges using kind of, maybe, sort of, try, think, hope, whereas the masculine style doesn't say, I hope to get this done. The masculine style says, I will get this done, and then using questions a lot, so One's not right and the other's not wrong. But let's say you find out you tend to be more on that feminine side. So instead of going, I have the answer, guys, you say, well, what do you think of this? Could this, could, could this work? Instead of, I already, I'm telling you it's brilliant, could this work? And when I do my workshops, I see men get that they do shift to that more feminine way or they can if they want others to feel more included, if mm-hmm. they want to build buy-in. And that's one of the values. So if you see the value of that, I don't see shifting as a sellout at all. I see it as just having a bigger toolkit. Yeah, I actually love that example because I think it really clarifies that um, you know shifting the way you communicate it in this example is not a sellout is because you're, you're you're trying to get everyone motivated on board with what you're doing and good leaders know that they have to have that. Yeah. And so like, let me give you an example of that in meetings, women very often get talked over mm-hmm. or they say something, nobody says anything. Three minutes later, some guy usually repeats the same thing and they're slapping him on the back for his brilliant idea. Now, once I understood that, I I went, wait a minute, I have a job to do here. I'm being paid well, and I'm giving up the floor. I'm letting someone else take my idea and run with it. And I had to learn to interrupt. I had to learn to hold the floor when I was interrupted, and I had to learn to speak a bit more directly and forcefully, leave the questions out. Now, was I being inauthentic? No, I don't think so. I think I was earning my keep. Do you think that communication skills like this come naturally to people and then they have to kind of train and develop them? Or do you think everybody's training and develop? I guess I'm just kind of curious. Are like there's some people who are just born and naturally great at, you know, swaying back and forth between these communication styles? Or do most people have to like train and learn and, you know, put it into action? Well, our upbringing and our acculturation has a lot to do with where we fall on these continuum. And I think it takes awareness and a and a decision. You know, I see the value of that. I want to learn to do that and some work. So I don't, there may be, you know what, I actually was naturally pretty good at shifting. I didn't know that because I didn't do this work when I was a general counsel at Coors. I, I learned all this after. But when I look back, I realized I was pretty good at sensing 
you know what, this is not the time to slap your hand on the table, or this is the time to slap your hand on the table. And so, yeah, I guess there are people who have a natural awareness and ability to shift. Now, let me make a point, and we can talk about this if you wish, but this is harder for women than for men. Why is that? Here's why. Because (laughs) if women are unaware of this, the most natural thing they can do is to emulate leadership as it is practiced in their companies or groups, which is, even in 2018, pretty much masculine. Now, that's not bad, but it's not as authentic. And I know I did this because I was exhausted at the end of my career because I definitely was emulating what I saw as leadership rather than finding my own tune, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. So if women... If women tend to operate in the feminine way, they probably aren't going to stand out as a leader because that's not how we define leadership. And if they operate in a masculine way too much, too often, at the wrong times, you can fill in the blank, but they're not, they're not beloved. Powerful women are not loved. They're respected, but they're not loved. And so... A woman can get feedback for being, I got feedback, you have an edge. Compared to whom did I have an edge? Right. Not compared to the men on the team. So I call that the double bind. For women, there's this tightrope and awareness that if I'm too masculine, I'm going to be called that word that rhymes with itch. Mm -hmm. But if I'm too feminine, I'm not going to be hurt at all. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's a, an exaggeration, of course. Right, right. But I think a lot of women do feel that way. I mean, ob- and, I you know, especially when reviews come out. I know there's a, a person who's worked for me before, and she describes me as having a way, which is the same way of having an edge. But, you know, I, it's like I have a way as compared to what? You know, so it's it's interesting because I think a lot of women are do feel like they're in their du- that double bind, and it's an exhausting place to be because – you're yes. kind of, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. So what what do you do in that situation? By the way, that is the name of Catalyst's uh, key article on the double bind. It is damned if she does, doomed if she doesn't. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You have to become aware. You have to become conscious. And it is a tightrope, and it's not fair. Mm-hmm. But it is walking that narrow line of, choosing when it is important for you to step out in a pretty masculine way and when it's not worth it. So it it takes practice. It takes observation. It takes awareness of what your natural thing is, how people are reacting, and being flexible. Mm -hmm. Hey there. Let's take a quick break from today's show so I can tell you about FabFitFun, a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, fashion, and lifestyle products. You recently heard me tell you about FabFitFun's winter box. And, well, I hope that you were one of the lucky ones that got that before it sold out because now we're talking all about their spring box. And I should mention that all of the FabFitFun subscription boxes sell out, so you definitely don't want to wait on it. 
But maybe you're wondering what's included if you've never gotten one before. Well, let me tell you. Because each box retails for $49.99, but always has a value of over $200. And because the boxes are seasonal, you get something new every four months. It's like Christmas four times a year. They have beauty products from brands like Tarte, Kate Somerville, and Juice Beauty. And some of the fashion brands include Free People, Trina Turk, and even Michael Stars. When you sign up, don't forget that you can customize some of the items in your box as well, which is really great because you're getting over $200 worth of items and you can customize it. And just for our listeners, you can visit fabfitfun.com and use the code FEMALS, F-E-M-A-I-L-S, to save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Again, that's fabfitfun.com and use the code FEMALS to save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. You deserve to treat yourself, and now you'll treat yourself four times. Okay, now let's get back to the show. So if you've had a, a leadership style up to today, and you're listening to this podcast, and you say, oh, this, this, is, this is what I have to do. I'm going to start, you know, changing and becoming conscientious about my leadership style and aware. Can you change it? I mean, have you seen or have examples of women leaders who started, you know, led for a certain way and then they were aware of this and they they changed over time and it changed the dynamics of their team? Uh, I'm one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I gave the example of meeting behavior. Mm -hmm. I realized that I couldn't give up the floor and I had to... um, learn to interrupt, for example, in order to have the impact I was being paid to have. So yes, can people change? Yes. On the other hand, I get the point you made earlier that women are saying, well, why do we have to do all the changing? Yeah. And I, so there are two parts here. And, and one is for women to become more aware so they can choose. But the, the other thing that must happen is for leaders in our workplace, men as well as women, to become aware and more inclusive. And by that, I mean being able to hear it differently Mm -hmm. instead of insisting that there's only one way to behave in meetings, only one way to influence people. I I was coaching a young woman at one point, and um, she was really effective. She got the best sales awards year after year after year. And when she was asked to apply for a higher job, she asked me to coach her, and I spoke with her several times. But at the end of the process, she called me up and said, I didn't get the job. My boss told me that the interview team, this is the language she used, couldn't see me leading from the front. Leading from the front is the masculine way. We're going to take that hill, guys, let's go. The feminine way of leading is to lead from the rear, lead from the sides. President Obama illustrated this. But, but she, her team was so effective, but she didn't stand out in front of them. She stood with them. She shared power with them. But they couldn't see it, notwithstanding her results. And they lost her. So my point is, she had to learn, but they, by their not learning, they lost her. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. And and so essentially what you're saying is that this is, is if women are feeling like all the work is on them, it's not because the male leaders also need to start recognizing this or they're going to lose talent. And I think they are starting. I mean, obviously, this is more of a topic today. I'm sure you, you yes. think about this like this is way more of a topic 
today than it's ever been before. Do you think if, I don't want to say this is the answer, but do you think if there were more women on that leadership team or that interview team, it would have been different for her? Oh, I do. Mm -hmm. I do. And here's what the research says. When you have one woman, she can get talked over. She's an anomaly. She just can't have the influence. When there are two women, people stand back and wait for them to compete or have a cat fight. Mm -hmm. When there are three, it starts to change the norm. And both men and women can operate back and forth along that continuum. So the research is, for example, on boards. Having three women on a board is a sweet spot. Unfortunately, there's also research that says that when a company has one woman senior executive officer, they're less likely to get another one, Mm. which says there's tokenism going on. Right. Right. Depressing. Sorry. Well, I think it's sort of the lip service thing. It's like, no, look, look, we have a woman. We, we're, we're, exactly. we're on board. We did it. And it's, but it doesn't mean anything. And it's certainly not changing anything. And, you know, the big organizations, if they talk to their employees, their employees aren't buying it. You know, they, I think they're. Absolutely. I also wonder, because there's a lot more transparency around companies, their boards, their leadership teams, you know, we've got all these, I mean, even if you go on careercontessa.com and you look at our company profiles, like we tell you so much about a company's culture beforehand. So what I'm kind of curious, like for that woman that you were coaching that had amazing sales results, when she decided to look for another company, are there things that women should look for in companies specifically to do their best to try to say like, hey, look, I'm willing to sway back and forth, but I want a place that is equally trying to be inclusive and sway back and forth with the the bilingual, you know, masculine, feminine approaches? Well, I think you just answered that. I think that's what you're looking for. It is a place that is appreciative and inclusive of multiple styles. And, And talking about masculine and feminine, that's just one way to talk about different styles. It just happens to work Mm -hmm. because women are still breaking glass ceilings and facing hurdles that men are not facing. So Mm -hmm. I think it is a place where inclusiveness is not only valued on the walls, you know, with the values charts, but in practice. And the only way you know that is to look at how many women are at each level and talk to them. Mm -hmm. What's it like here? Do you feel valued? Do you feel like you have to do a lot of conforming? And hopefully by conversations with the leaders, if they're men, get a sense of whether they get it. Right. You know, there are men who get it. And there are a lot of men who don't get it. Right. Hey there, let's take a quick break from today's show so I can tell you about Zola, the easiest way to plan your wedding and registry. I already told you how much I depend on Zola to keep my wedding gift-giving organized in season one. So it's no surprise that I'm still recommending Zola to all my friends. Planning a wedding can be stressful, hands down. I think we can all agree with that. But Zola takes the stress out of wedding planning with free wedding websites, dream wedding registries, affordable save the dates and invitations, and easy to use planning tools. Using Zola will save you so much time too. And that's a huge benefit because planning a wedding takes a lot of time. You'll be so happy that you can easily share the planning details with your future mother-in-law instead of replying to her numerous emails. Another great part about Zola is that you can create a beautiful website and then add sections like an FAQ area where you can answer those awkward questions like, 
can I bring my kids to your wedding? And after people learn that the wedding will be kids-free, they can send you something for your registry that is automatically price matched and sent directly to you. So it's good for you and it's good for your guests. To start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry, go to Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A.com backslash females, F-E-M-A-I-L-S. Again, to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola, go to Zola, Z-O-L-A.com backslash females, F-E-M-A-I-L-S. Again, Zola, Z-O-L-A com backslash females. Okay, now let's get back to the show. How can we include men in the conversation about women in leadership? I mean, obviously we know why it's important, but how uh, there are certainly, as you said, there are certainly men who get it and there are men who don't get it. But I think sometimes the men who even get it are probably still, it's like they have the good intention. So how, how can we include them in the conversations? Do we bring them to the women resource groups? Do we just, you know, have more conversations with them in general? Like what, what can we do to get men more in the conversation of, of just women in leadership in general? Uh, great question. And as you say, absolutely critical. Women can't fix this alone. And if we are just talking to each other, we're breathing our own exhaust. <laughs> and good. I think the way to get men's ear on this, if we don't already have it, is the business case. Mm-hmm. It is, this is not just the right thing to do for women. This is the right thing to do for our business and show them the data. You can get their attention, but there are a lot of men who get that, who know the business case and don't have a clue what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So I think thing one is to drop the anger. It's frustrating for women, but if we approach men by accusing them of being biased, bigoted, you know, sexist, their ears are going to close. That's human nature. And so to manage your frustration somewhere else, and I don't even use the term bias. McKinsey uses the term unconscious mindsets to avoid that term bias. Mm-hmm. But so, to, so avoid male bashing, avoid blaming and, you know, use the business approach. But I guess helping them see the value of the feminine as well as the masculine approaches, uh, maybe calling it that, maybe calling it something different. Mm-hmm. You know, like, did you see how Marianne accomplished that? She did that so differently than I've seen done in the past. And she included her people. And look at the results she got. That's like becoming an advocate for mm-hmm. a style that isn't the typical one or get, get them directly into this stuff. You know, do like you say and bring them to meetings of the women's um, network if, if there is one. And if there isn't one, men ought to be involved in women's networks. It can't, it can't just be women. And bring in good diversity and inclusion training that is not going to bash, that right. is going to allow them to keep their ears open and see the value of these differences. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you think every company should have, I mean, some companies are definitely starting to create diversity and inclusion departments, but do you think also 
companies need to have maybe very specific communications training. I mean, one thing I always find so interesting is that companies will spend a ton of money on recruiting, you know, hiring the best people, hiring, but they don't spend the same amount of resources in developing their talent. And and if they do, it's like, okay, we'll send you to get your MBA or we'll send you to get, you know, take a, a, t- a coding class and now you can code the website for us. You know, it's very much this results-oriented skill, whereas, yeah. and, and I think it's probably because we call them soft skills, but really they're people skills. They're, they're success skills, right? You, you can't be successful if you can't communicate. Um, what's your viewpoint on just like having more talent development as a, as a resource and, and not just thinking of talent development as, you know, hard skills, but also maybe having like a communications coach who is training the people at the company, I think everything you said is uh, excellent, and I think pointing out that soft skills are not soft. Right. They're hard. They're yeah. difficult. They're challenging. They're the hardest. <laughs> they are the hardest, and guess what? Uh, the The research on emotional intelligence actually says there are certain areas where women, i.e. the feminine, excels, and there's more of it. So as people right. become more attuned to the value of emotional intelligence, which we used to think of as soft. That's another doorway to create appreciation for the way women do it. Now, I think I've lost your question by No, that's perfect. But no. training and development, you're so right. If you just hire numbers, you'll have diversity for a nanosecond. Right. If you don't support and enable the diverse people, including women, to succeed and to grow, you are not being inclusive. You cannot just be diverse. You have to be inclusive, and only then can diversity be sustainable. A hundred percent agreed. I mean, we had a woman write an article for us once on Career Contessa, and she said, uh, I think the article was about what it's like to be hired just because you're the the black girl in the office. Was essentially what she was saying is like oh, when you're the yes. when you know you're the diversity check, you know the check mark for them. It's yep. it's completely. First of all, she saw right through it, and and it was a it was you know she obviously had a really negative experience, and she ended up leaving the company. But that's a very good point. I'm I'm kind of curious too. What trends are you seeing in leadership and communication skills? And I don't know if there's a way to like just name what the type of skills are, but I would love to kind of somehow summarize, if we can, so people listening can think about, you know, if they were going to go do a Google search on a type of communication skill they needed to improve on, like, what are these trends and what are they, what are they called? Like, what should we be thinking about developing? I'm not sure of the names, but I do myself see a real softening in uh, the way it was when I entered the workplace, which is that there are men who, whether they know it or not, are practicing feminine skills and valuing them for some of the reasons that, because they've gotten results, you know, like servant leadership, like radical inclusivity, the importance of diversity and inclusion. And back to the question about how to make men take that out of just language. You know, if I say, it's really important me to have a diverse team and to have an inclusive environment. Engage them. What does that look like? And how are you going to do that? Right. Provide some context to, to what it is. Otherwise, it's just sort yeah. of lip service again. That's right. But I think there is a growing trend. I think things have moved a long way since I started in the corporate world. We have a long way to go. But oh my goodness, when I look at the uh, Sunday morning talk shows or 
you know, the representatives, the leadership, we're seeing more women. We are changing the image of what leadership looks like. And hopefully we're supporting women who value the feminine. They're not just honorary men. Right, right. I was going to ask you too, how can female leaders become champions for other women in the workplace? Is it about, is it about when you're a leader, you know, you bring those women with you, you mentor? I mean, how women who are leaders today who have gotten there, how can they, you know, continue to really be a champion for other women in the workplace? Really important topic. Uh, I don't know whether you have my book, but the appendix is about women supporting women. If we women don't support women, how do we expect men to? And yet, I still at this time hear stories that, you know, make my hair curl, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, that women can be queen bees. That is, they get to the top and they like being special, so they don't. They pull up their coattails instead of spending some time and energy helping other women learn the lessons they learned the hard way. You know, we grew up in a culture, even to this day, that values masculine over feminine, that values men over women. And we grew up in that culture, too. And so I don't judge women who favor men, but I certainly want to wake them up. It really upsets me today when I hear a woman say, well, I just really prefer working with men because she's setting herself apart. She's saying, I'm one of them, not one of you. Mm-hmm. And and that sets us back. So I think becoming aware of our own acculturation that makes it harder for us to do that. I remember early in my career being asked by the CEO, well, what do the women think about this? And I so recoiled from that. I didn't want to say what all the women think because I knew we weren't a monolith. But I also didn't want, I didn't want to be seen as the woman. I wanted to be seen as, you know, a leader alongside them. And I had to put that down and go, well, I guess I got to speak out. And become a spokesperson for women and the value of women. And I became a real mentor, and I became a real supporter of there being more women, including the day I walked out the door. Mm -hmm. I said to the CEO, look, you now have no woman on your senior team. You need three. And here are the women I think you should be working with and bringing along. So I'm sure I was a pain in his neck. (laughs) But it became a mission for me, and I, I really, I do a workshop on women working with women to help women be more aware of how we fall short of being supportive of our own. Right. Well, I think this is all uh, leaning toward what we were just talking about, where they're not soft skills. They're the hardest skills. It's the people skills. It's being able to have emotional intelligence. It's being able to support other people and know when to be an advocate, when to speak up. And and that's all. And I think what people get frustrated with is, is that it's something you're always having to work on. And that's just the reality of this, right? Like you're never not you know, consciously aware of it and thinking about it and, and working about working toward this um, inclusion and and making sure that you have that. Because, and, and I, I what I mean about that too is that I think sometimes people want the culture to just sort of happen, but you and I both know good cultures take a lot of work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. 
Well, so everybody who's listening, it's going to be a lot of work. And, and you know, I, I think there are just some women out there too where, and I can understand this, where they're like, it's just that everything is a lot of work. So I understand, but I think we're, I, I also feel like, you know, this isn't like all this work doesn't have to be, you don't have to memorize all the dimensions in your book and memorize it every day. You know, it's, it's the small steps every day lead to big changes. And ultimately that's what you want because successful careers are going to be the ones that also you're included in and you have that leadership and you have people you can trust and depend on and you know your meetings run efficiently and so all those actually those pieces are what help move the bus forward so to speak and isn't that life lauren yeah (laughs) Yeah. thing you want to grow in that doesn't take some work yeah because we are creatures of habit our you know i'm reading joe dispenza again about the brains, how we lay down habits of thought and what it takes to actually change your habit of thought if you decide you want to be different. Right. Yeah. If you want to disrupt how things are, are being done so far, it's going to it's gonna take some work. So this is really interesting. I actually, this is the first time I've really heard someone ever tell me, well, feminine, men can have feminine traits and masculine. You know, I've always thought of it as a very black and white point of view. And this is somebody who's thinking and talking about this stuff all day long. So this has definitely sparked something really interesting for me. Um, I want to move into our rapid fire questions to, to close up. These are a lot softer <laughs> than the questions I've been asking you so far. So rapid fire, the goal here is uh, one word or short answers, essentially. So the first one is the career advice you wish you had earlier in your career is? I wish I'd known what I know today. <laughs> Always. Hindsight 2020, right? One of your greatest strengths is? Um, My analytic mind. I can break issues into parts and put it back together. That's great. Um, One woman, either dead or alive, that you'd love to grab dinner with is? Hillary Clinton. Who is she really? Yeah. How much is facade? How much did she build on, you know, external criticism and trying to fit in? Mm Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Um, how and do you, what did it feel like to lose to a guy who brags about abusing women? Oh, well, when you get to have that dinner, let's let's get you back on the podcast so you can tell oh, us all great. that. Wouldn't that be some fun? <laughs> yeah, that day. would be. And then how do you plan to disrupt your career in 2019? I actually am just listening to the universe. I feel like change is in the air, but I when I'm making a change, I tend to listen and watch for guidance, and that's where I am. That's fantastic. I, I'm definitely claiming 2019 is the year of disruption. So that kind of goes along with your theme. There's change in the air. There's disruption in the air. And I think you're not alone. I think there's a lot of people that feel that as well. But well, thank you, Caroline, for joining us today. This has been so informative and you've really given us a lot to think about. And your book is called Difference Works. So we'll we'll all be sure to run out there and get it and start working on those soft slash very hard skills immediately. And my and my website is www difference-works.com or difference.works. Wonderful. And there's all kinds of blogs and workshops and that kind of thing on there. Great. And that's where they can find your book and if your workshops, keynotes, et cetera. So thank you so much, Caroline. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Lauren. And let's make this change happen. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That was Caroline Turner author, speaker, and a leadership consultant disrupting how both male and female leaders communicate. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to The Females and leave us a review. We're so grateful to hear from you, our listeners, 
And here's what Masuma of at Inc and Copy on Twitter recently said. I ended up nodding at least for half of the females podcast episode, Why We Meltdown. Just so many snippets of enlightenment. The females podcast is almost as good as pizza. Thanks, Masuma. And I made sure to include that episode from season one in the show notes. Ready for more smart career advice? Sign up for our free 28-day career kickstart via the link in the show notes or head over to careercontested.com. You'll get one email a week that includes everything you need to up-level your career. It's free and it can change your life. I'll be back next Tuesday with Elise Lowen, the Chief Content Officer at Goop. But until then, you can follow us on at Career Contessa on Instagram. Share this episode with your work wives and Instagram community with hashtag the females podcast and listen to the sneak peek of next week's episode. It was so interesting to me because the person I worked most closely with was Gwyneth. She named all the classes. She took me through all the class descriptions since I was heavily pregnant and had never done the method. (laughs) And it was fun. And I was shocked at the level of the detail that she was interested in. And the fact that that stuff matters, because obviously growing up in media, growing up with words, I think that it really matters. 